Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week we began our verse-by-verse study on the book of Romans and found in verse 1 Paul's first description of himself to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Today we continue with verse 1 and look at Paul's second qualification, a called apostle. Let's read Romans chapter 1 and read verse number 1 and we'll see how far we'll get here this evening. Verse 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning the Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made the seed of David according to the flesh. Now, I am going to stick with verse number 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel. And I'm going to ask the Lord to help us as we preach from that text. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Father, we thank thee for the testimony of your people. We thank you that you inhabit the praise of your people. And we also thank you that you have exhorted the redeemed to say so. We thank you for the witness of the power of prayer the baffling of doctors, the confusion of the mind of those who are supposed to be able to deal with the body, but yet find something so mysterious they cannot explain. I thank you, Lord, that uh, we must remember that doctors don't heal. They just provide the medication, but you do the healing. And they're not indispensable, and we must use them but we must always be careful to remember that you are the one that actually healed the body. I pray tonight, Lord, as we go into your word, give us some time together around the word. Help us to gird up the loins of our minds, to be alert, not to be bored by scripture, not to be bogged down by scripture, but help us, Lord, to desire to know the truth of scripture. And I pray that we must remind ourselves that in the church, the central place of preaching must be preeminent in the church. And we know that prayer is vital, but we know that it's through the foolishness of preaching that you save people and through the preaching of the word that believers are edified. And we are given the responsibility to preach the whole counsel of God. And therefore, it's incumbent upon us when we meet together not to discuss politics and cricket and sports and the weather, uh, not to engage in, in social programs and activities, but to find out what the Bible teaches. Uh, Lord, some of the things that we learn may be a benefit for us immediately. Uh, other things that we learn, it is way down the line that you're preparing for these eventualities that we will need the word to respond to situations. Whenever the word is preached, we are assured that your will is revealed, your mind is revealed, and it has some positive benefit for the believer. It is with this confidence we come to your word and we ask for the assistance of your spirit in teaching of your word, in preaching of your word, uh, 
that your people might be strengthened in the word and that they become more intelligent, enlightened believers and not fall for every wind of doctrine and be influenced by so many non-biblical practices that are dominating the landscape of the Christian faith. Lord, we don't claim to be the only exclusive people with the truth, but we do claim that we hold to the truth and only the truth. And we ask you to help us to honor your word every time and help us, Lord, to make your word the sibboleth, the standard, the rule by which we live, by which we judge practices and everything else. It becomes a standard for our church. But we must know the word if it's going to be the standard. And that's why we're here tonight to study it and to preach it to your people. We pray these mercies and we ask for your blessing and your guidance. In our Lord's name we pray. Amen. Now that brings me to what I want to cover tonight, which is the second job description, a title that Paul gives himself. It's not only just a servant of Jesus Christ. Paul said he's a what? Called to be an apostle. Now, if you read some of the modern translations, you find that there's a more accurate translation of that. It is not called to be an apostle. It is a called apostle. They might be, you might say, but pastor, what's the great difference? There's a tremendous difference in that particular passage. When the apostle Paul says that he is a called apostle, no, there are other men claiming to be apostles, you know. Don't forget, you wrote Second Corinthians. There were pseudo-apostles, false apostles, men claiming to be apostles. So the apostle Paul has to distinguish himself from others. He said, I am a called, I don't know what they are, but I want you to know that I am a called apostle. He's a, a word of differentiation. That's what the apostle Paul is doing here. And ordinarily, I would bypass this. But the situation, in modern situation today, the religious world, there's so many things happening in the, the religious world that it disturbs you to the point where, because of certain churches and movements claiming to the apostolic office, that they have revived and now replaced uh, the apostolic office in the church. And they do it with great pride. And we've got to ask ourselves, why don't we have apostles in the church then? You know, we got pastors, we got evangelists, but should we add apostles to the list? See, so when you come to a pastor like this, you don't just bypass it because you got to understand what is happening today. For example, if you leave here and you go up there where the Mormon church is, do you know what's the biggest claim of the Mormon church? Why they call themselves the Restoration Church of Jesus Christ? The Mormon church is the only church that claims that they have 12 apostles. That is their unique thing. They ask the question, which other church you know got 12 apostles? We got 12 apostles. So we are now the, we have now restored Christianity to what it should be. See? That is one of the major doctrinal planks of the Mormon church. So is that true? Do we have apostles today? In the Mormon church, the only true church, because they got 12 apostles, like they had in the, the book of Acts, and so, on, so we must have 12 apostles. And the, the, the Mormon church is saying, we, I have, we've restored what the Christian church should be. How do you respond to that? 
I need to remind you as well that in certain Pentecostal circles and certain charismatic groups, especially those that have a husband and wife team, mark it down. See their brochures when they put them on the wall. You'll always find apostle and pastor. And then you look to see who is the apostle, who is the pastor. In every case, the man is the apostle and the woman is the pastor. Check it out every time you see it. So how do we respond to that? See, Well, we can always tell you that there's no, there's no such thing as a woman pastor. Okay? Women are not called to be pastors. Okay? And if you have any argument with me with that, we can meet in private and I can show you from God's word that a woman's place is not in the pulpit. She is not to be a teacher. She is not to be a preacher of within the, with authority in the church. See, Very, very clear in the Bible. See? But we've got movements where you've got husband, apostle. But why did they turn it around? I mean, the Bible makes it quite clear the, the pastor must be a husband of one wife. So the husband should be the pastor. But why, why, why is she the pastor and he the, the apostle? See? You ever ask yourself that kind of question? By the way, that happened when my wife's daughter died. The church she went to. I think I told you this. I don't know. When they asked me who I want preach. Hear me who I want preach. Well, I learned then that I want the pastor preach. But then I learned then that he was the apostle and she was the pastor. So, you know, who I want preach. I, I want, well, who does I want? I want the pastor preach then. <laughs> right? The point I'm making here is so much is going on in, in the religious world that, that, that we've we, we got to go to scripture. We've got to find out what God's word teaches. And th- this must be our sibboleth. This must be our standard. This must be our canon. This must be our rule. We must judge everything and save everything through this. Filter everything through the scripture. And, and that is why it's so important to deal with a question like this. What is an apostle? But let me mention something else that uh, some of you might have forgotten. Are you aware that the most boastful claim of the Roman Catholic Empire is that they have what is called apostolic succession? You know what that means? The Catholic Church claimed that they're the only true church. They're the mother church. And all the other churches have to return to mother. See? So we, we, are, we are estranged children of the Catholic Church. So the whole, whole purpose of the Catholic Church is to bring all churches back to mama. Because she's the only true church. And by the way, if you read Catholic dogma, there is no salvation outside the Catholic church. Do you know that? That is what they teach. But the reason why they make that claim is because they say we have something called apostolic succession. What has happened that Peter was the first pope. And then Peter handed on to the next pope. And to the next pope. And the next pope. And the next pope. Until right now today... We can trace way back to the first pope, and we got apostolic succession. So today, the current pope has apostolic power. So when he speaks ex cathedra, what that means is that anything he says in relation to doctrine, in relation to morals, must be accepted by every single Catholic church, irrespective because he has apostolic authority. That's the power of Rome. See, That's the power of Rome. And by the way, do you ever see when the Pope goes to countries, how dotish these people are? Thousands. Want to kiss the pontiff's 
finger and, and want to touch the Pope's uh, motorcade and, and uh, want bring my little children, kiss him, please, kiss him, bless him, bless him, you know. Amazing when you begin to see that. It's as though the man is, is some kind of a superhero. He's some kind of a, an unusual person. But you know why? That because they say that he has apostolic succession. Whatever power Peter had was passed on. And today they have that power in the church. So when you read a passage like this, you're, you're tempted to bypass it. Because ah, that doesn't mean anything today. Oh, pastor, get to something more meaty. Get to something more relevant. There's nothing more relevant than this one. Because we've got to decide, is there such a thing as apostolic authority? Is there such a thing as 12 apostles today? And there is such a thing as a man who is a pastor and his wife is a, a man who is an apostle and his wife is a pastor. Where do you find that? That is why we need to deal with a passage like this when Paul talks about he being an apostle. So the question, of course, this evening is what is an apostle? And I would like to point out another factor here to you as well that you will discover that the reason why the Apostle Paul mentions that he's an apostle, I don't know if you're aware of this or not, but in almost all of the apostles, the Paul has to defend himself. Think about that for just a moment. You know why? The Apostle Paul had his detractors in the church. The Apostle Paul had his opponents. There were people who were always maligning the Apostle Paul and saying, he's not one of the twelve. See? He's not a true apostle. Now imagine that. So you get maligned and you feel so bad. People say bad things about you. And you feel so bad. Listen, it is when you come to the Bible and understand that even the great apostle has to defend himself. And that is why he said, I am a called apostle. See? Because in a real sense, he's writing to a church that had never seen him. He had not founded this church. And the apostles know it would not be long before some busybody gets up to Rome and say, Hey, who come in your way? Who wrote you, Paul? That man is not an apostle. He's just a fake. Maligned his character. The apostle Paul has to defend himself. And by the way, the reason why they said he was not an apostle is several things. Number one, he was never a companion of Jesus Christ. Number two, he never sat under the teaching of Jesus Christ like the others. Uh, and of course, number three, he's a, a, an apostle, as it were, a man born out of due time. And besides that, they never fancied him preaching to the Gentiles and bypassing the Jews. They were highly offended by that. And therefore, they were uh, constantly trying to undermine his integrity and his authority. See? To destroy the man's credibility. By denying the fact that he's not an apostle. And the other thing is, is that if you go through his epistles, you will see that this man is constantly being subjected to misrepresentation. Let me tell you some of the things that they said about him. Number one, with all of these innuendos and insinuations about the apostle Paul, uh, some were saying he's mercenary. He's just in it for the money, man. By the way, that's why when the Apostle Paul is entrusted with money to take to the other church, he said, Brother Robert and Brother Nathan, you come and go with the money, please. You know why he's doing that? Because if I go with the money myself, they say, put my hand in the tills. Yeah. Mercenary. Sad. There were those that were saying he was a terrible speaker. A man has contemptible speech. You know, he's not eloquent. You know, he's not an Apollos. 
polished silver tongue, gold tongue person. No, he, he's perhaps have a, a speech impediment, maybe a stutter. Maybe he hesitates, he doesn't have fluency of language. His speech is contemptible, man. And then, of course, they were saying that he was weak and sickly. His body, not a macho man. Look at him, so frail, he could be an apostle. A little nincompoop like him, he could be an apostle. That's the thinking. And then other words were saying that he taught libertinism. You know, Paul talked grace, that where sin abounded, grace much more abound. And then somebody picked that up and said, hey, Paul is saying, sin more so that you get more grace. See, twisting Paul's words. And sin is an antinomian. Libertinism, freedom and liberty in the process, twisting. And then, of course, the other thing that we're saying about Paul, you can't depend upon this man. You know why? <laughs> and this is the problem with the Corinthian church. Paul said, I'm going to pass through by you. And, but guess what happened? Paul didn't get the pass through. So what they say? You see what I tell you? You can't depend upon He said he's going to pass. He didn't pass. And then Paul has to take some time explaining to them what happened. It's not that I didn't want to come to you, but I thought about it afterwards. And if I came with you, I come in with a bull pistol. I can whip your bottom because of all the evil among you. So I thought that I would desist from that. So when I come to you, I will come to you in a more pleasant attitude. But they took that around and said, man, he afraid of us. He independent. He gives his word. He never comes. See, Paul has to defend himself. See. And that is why he's saying to these people, not only am I servant of Jesus Christ, I am a called apostle. In a sense, he is, he is anticipating how he will be maligned in Rome, misrepresented with all the insinuations and innuendos about him. And then, of course, the other thing that they were said is anti-Semitic. You remember he, he, when the Jews rejected him, he brushed off the dust of the feet and said, okay, you reject me, I'm going to the Gentiles. See? So many things the Apostle Paul was faced with. And it became incumbent upon him that to refute these charges, he had to assert and affirm his apostolic identity and say to them, I am a called apostle. I am not some kind of an upstart, self-appointed person. God has called me. I'm not a fake to mislead the church. God has called me. And that's why the apostle Paul has to mention that he's a called apostle. Now, that brings me to the question, what does it mean when he said he is an apostle? Let me mention several things here quickly tonight. Number one, the word apostle that's used in scripture is an official title, a special title, a designation that indicates a particular office. And this is what Paul is trying to establish here. Could I point out something to you? That all the disciples were not apostles. And that it was possible for a person to be a disciple and not an apostle. As a matter of fact, the Lord selected the apostles out of the disciples, the body of disciples. Let me, let me show you that, uh, that this is an official title, an official office that God, the Lord created. Look at uh, Matthew chapter 10 for just a moment. Matthew chapter 10, and look at verse number 1 and verse number 2. And when he called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness. And all manner of diseases. But notice the next verse. And now the names of the twelve apostles are these. You notice in one part he called them disciples. 
And now he gives them a designated title. He calls them what? Apostles. Why, why the change? Why the difference? Because the, the, the role and the position and the title of apostle is a distinct role. It's a distinct title. It's a, it, it's, it's a realm that belongs to a distinct office. Uh, let me show you something else. Look at Luke chapter 6 for just a moment to confirm this. Luke chapter 6 and look at verse number 12 and 13 of Luke chapter 6. And it came to pass in those days that he went up into the mountain to pray and uh, he continued all night in prayer. And when it was day, he called unto him what? His disciples. And out of them, he chose what? Twelve whom he called what? Apostles. He's creating a distinct office out of the body of disciples that followed him. Disciple and apostle are not interchangeable. They are not synonymous terms. It's a distinct office. A person is called into that office. That is what the apostle Paul is, is, is claiming here. That he is one that has been specially called of God to fulfill this apostolic role. And they are selected. And they are selected once and only once. There were only 12 apostles. As a matter of fact, in the New Jerusalem, how many gates they got? You remember? 12 gates. And each gate is for what? It's called what? The apostle. Represent Read it in the book of Revelation. But what does the title itself mean then? Well, the word apostle means sent one. One that is sent. And... It means more than just one that is sent, however. Uh, it has certain uh, titles, etc., that certain things that are included in a person sent. Number one, it means that one is sent with a distinct message. It also means that one is sent with a message with delegated authority. And it also means that the one who is sent with a message with delegated authority speaks on the behalf of the one that sent him. And that behind that person is the authority of the one that sends him forth. So that is why the apostles had certain authorities in respect to the church. And that brings me to the next question. What were their credentials of the apostles? And let me mention several things here about the apostle and so on. The first thing I would like to say to you about an apostle. That no one could be an apostle until, unless that person has seen the risen Lord. There are two passages of scripture that makes that very clear. Acts chapter 1, verse 21. You remember when Judas had committed suicide? And they had to replace someone to fill his office? You remember that the condition is one that had witnessed the resurrection. You find that in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 21. The other thing is, look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. You know the Acts chapter 1, I'll not turn that. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9 and verse 1. Listen to Paul's question. Am I not an apostle? Am I not free? And notice this word. Have I not what? Seen Jesus Christ our Lord. The apostle Paul is saying to you, look, you, you Corinthians might say that I am not an apostle. But I want you to know that I meet the credential of being an apostle. I saw the risen Lord. And that was one of the credentials of an apostle. He must have seen the risen Lord. By the way, that's why there are no apostles today. Simple as that. 
The problem with believers is that they don't think logically. They don't go to scripture to find out what scripture says. They just buy into everything that happens. Do you know of any one of these men, any one of these people that claim the apostle that can say to you, yes, I saw the risen Lord. Not one of them can make that claim. So they are disqualified to give that title to themselves. They're claiming an office. And by the way, the reason why I'm saying they're claiming an office because remember in the Bible you've got the pastoral office, you've got the office of deacon, you've got the, the evangelist. So when you say you're a pastor, you're claiming a distinct office now. You're saying you're not a pastor, you're not an evangelist, you have the authority of an apostle. It doesn't stand up on the water because the first qualification is not met by any one of them that claim that title today. Does that offend you? If it does, sir, your problem is not with the pastor, your problem is the word. And I'm sorry for you. Because the wording can change to accommodate you. See? You need to change your doctrine and change your beliefs to fit scripture. Scripture cannot be twisted to fit what you want it to teach. And that's the first thing I would like to say about that. The other thing I would like to say about the apostle is that each apostle had to be specially called by the Lord himself. Notice I mentioned to you in the book of Acts, in the book of Matthew, in the book of Luke, he called his disciples together and out of, he called 12 and called them what? Apostles. Now was Paul called personally by the Lord? Of course he was. Acts chapter 9 on the road of Damascus. The rampaging maniac, the Al-Qaeda terrorist, see, not an Al-Qaeda terrorist, a Jewish terrorist, a, a, a zealot, a man that was going to destroy the church and Christianity on his way to take men to prison. And guess what? God arrested him. He said in one of the books, I was apprehended. It means that God got me by my pants and, and pulled me. See, that's what it really means. He arrested me. And what did he say? Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And then the question is this. Who art thou, Lord? Listen to it. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. And I'm calling you now to be the apostles. He was called personally by the Lord. So if you want these guys who claim to be apostles, ask them. When the Lord spoke to them personally and said to them, I make you an apostle. Again, strike number two. Strike number two against those who claim to be apostles today. A personal, specific, individual call by the Lord himself. And then there's a third thing. When God called the apostles and God gave them this office and he commissioned them, he gave them certain things that the apostles would do. Let me mention at least five of them. Number one. Number one, they would work signs and wonders and miracles. Look at Corinthians chapter 12 and verse, tw verse 12. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I remember the Corinthian church and the book of 2 Corinthians is really a defense of Paul's apostolic ship. Uh, and in chapter 12 and verse 12, when Paul is defining himself, look what he says in verse number 12. He says, truly, the signs of an apostle were wrought among you in patience, in signs and wonders and mighty deeds. What does Paul say? How can you continue to doubt that I'm an apostle? When I was among you, I demonstrated before you 
the apostolic credentials of signs and wonders. I did these things before you, and you still doubt that I am an apostle? And the reason why Paul mentioned those things is because those are the things that the apostle was told they would do. And Paul is saying, I meet the qualifications. And again, I ask you, which of them that you know are doing signs and wonders and miracles today? No, don't buy Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn's a big fake. Okay? Superman! Superman! Fall down. Can't find that in the Bible. Can't find that in the Bible. Look, I, I said it this morning in the our Sunday school class. And I said again, the world is being set up for the greatest deception that the world has ever known. And it's going to be religious deception. The stage is being set for the great prophet who will direct worship to the Antichrist. Satan's lie in Genesis chapter 3 will become reality. You shall be as gods. And a lot of these preachers today are telling you that you are just a god, but you don't know who you are. You just got to find out who you are, but you, you have divinity in you. Faith movement that you hear so much about, that is the, what they teach. See? That you're a little God, but the problem with you is that you don't know who you are yet. So you got to find out that you're a little God, and then you begin to function as a God, so you can speak things into reality. Visualize. What you ever can visualize will materialize. So you want that car, visualize you driving that car. Visualize it that you've been to the guy you paid the money for or he gave it to you. But imagine you driving down the road at 60, 70 miles. That is you in there. That, listen, visualize it. If you can visualize it, it will materialize and become yours. And people buy that. People buy that. Believe it or not, people buy that today. So the first thing that Paul says, look, I want you to know that I'm an apostle, but I want you to know that I, I, I have actually demonstrated I was called, I seen the Lord, but I also did exactly what apostles are supposed to do. Signs and wonders and miracles among you Corinthians. See, But here's the thing I can't understand. The Corinthians saw real miracles, real signs, and still doubted Paul. We see in bogus signs and believe these people are real. You think about that for just a moment. See, You think about that. It tells you how blind we are religiously. And how we are influenced by personalities. People who got charisma. That we are not people governed by scripture and the word. We are influenced by personalities. It's a terrible dilemma. And then number two. The apostles were given power to give the Holy Spirit and to impart spiritual gifts. Did you hear what I said here? You remember Acts chapter 19, where they found these people that were not, said they had believed the baptism of John the Baptist, but they had never heard such a Holy Spirit. What did Paul do? He put his hand on them, the Bible, the Holy Spirit came upon them. When they went to Samaria and the gospel reached Samaria, it is when Peter came and laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came. Now there's a reason for that. There wasn't going to be two churches, the Jewish church and the Gentile church, the same man that was given the key to open the kingdom to the Jews. It's the same man that is given the key to open the kingdom to the Gentiles as well. So that is why he was there at Pentecost and the Spirit came. That is why he goes over here as well to let people know it's one church. It is one church. See, But the point I'm making here is this. They had that power. You remember what Paul told Timothy? 
to stir up the gift that was in him that had been received by what? The laying on of hands. They had that authority. They had that power to impart certain gifts. The Holy Spirit would use them. Which man you know today has that kind of power? Or ever has been delegated that kind of power? Only the apostles had that kind of power. Number four. The apostles were given the power to ordain elders and presbyters and leaders in the church and decide on matters that are in dispute and questionable. Paul told Titus, I have left you in Crete to go into the churches and ordain elders. You have that authority. I am the authority that has been delegated to me. I am saying to you, Timothy, go and do that. That's, they have that authority to, to get the church. That was their responsibility. Now, can any of these apostles come into this church and appoint a pastor? Where do they get authority from? See? They don't belong in Grace Baptist Church. They're not members of Grace Baptist Church. They have no right to select an elder or a pastor in this church because they don't have apostolic authority. But if they had it, they have the right to do it. So you understand the repercussions when people, people don't think through these things. Number five, when these apostles spoke, they had the authority that when they spoke, the very words they spoke were the very words of God. Let me show you that. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and look at verse 13. He said, for this cause also we thank God without ceasing. Because when you receive the word of God, which you heard of us, you receive it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, what? The word of God. So when we were, when we spoke, whatever we said was inspired by God. And you accepted it as not the words of man, but the words of God. Now which man claimed the apostle can say to you that when he speaks, He's speaking to you by inspiration that these are the word of God. He can't do it. He doesn't have that authority. He doesn't have that power. But a true apostle had that authority and that power. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And look at verse number 8. He says, But though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord have given us for what? Edification. In other words, I, I, can, I can press... And demand certain things of you. And I can exercise my authority because it is something that God has given to us as apostles. For your edification. He said a similar thing in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Look there for just a moment. And verse number 10. He said, therefore I write these things being absent. Lest being present I should use sharpness according to the power which the Lord has given to me. To edification. In other words, when the apostles spoke, God spoke. That was the kind of authority. And any man that refused apostolic authority was refusing God's authority. Is there any man can make that claim today? Absolutely not. So then how can they be apostles? But I want to say something else to you. Not only did they claim that for themselves, but it's interesting that they claimed that authority for others, apostles, Likewise, I want you to look at an interesting verse in Second Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter 3, and look at verse number 15 and 16. 
He says, and on account that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given to him, have written unto you. Notice, as also in all his epistles, speaketh in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also what? The other scriptures. So what they say? They're putting Paul's writing on par with scripture. What Paul wrote is a scripture of the Old Testament. It has the same authority. Now can any of these guys write you an epistle and say that is God's word? On par with the scripture, on par with the New Testament? They can't do it. You see, when you come to pastor scripture like this, you're, you're tempted to just bypass it because it doesn't seem to have much meaning for us today. But if you're in touch with what is happening in the religious world, you would understand that this is a very relevant passage today. We've got to tell people that no such thing as an apostle exists today. And if we don't do that, we will allow the church to be misled. What next are going to claim after that? You tell me. You give them a little bit, they get away with this, they claim more power to this, have more authority and more authority. Someone has to stand in the gap and say, no, it ends right there. It ends right there. You're a bogus claim in the matter. See? But of course, when you do that, here's the thing that most Christians say, Pastor, you're too critical. You had a bad-minded spirit, Pastor. See? That's what people say, you know. You've got a bad-minded spirit. You're against everybody. See? And so on and so on. No, I'm not against everybody. I'm for every godly preacher that preaches the word and say, Listen, I'm just a simple preacher call of God. But I'm against men claiming an authority that doesn't belong to them. Because I see the danger of how it affects the church. Look, some time ago, I, uh, a guy came in here. I don't remember uh, if I... Again, listen, I get in old, okay? And my memory don't remember some things I told you. But repetition is good sometimes. You probably the pastor told me that already. That's good. You can hear it a second time, third time, fourth time, okay? But I remember some time ago, a guy came in here from the States and... He called himself some bishop. And he's talking about his church and so on and so forth. And um, I was asking about his church. And uh, this is what he told me. If I told you this, it's worth saying again. He told me that in their church, right on the platform, they got this big auditorium, a big church. And right in a balcony in the church is the prophet's house. Where he and his wife are up in the balcony. You know, That's where they live in the balcony. That's the bishop's quarters. I said, no, I said, man alive. What a thing. What a thing. But he has so much power and so much authority that the people can't see the anomaly of that. That they would build quarters for him above the pulpit area that he has his, his setting, he has his bedrooms and everything up there. I'm telling you what he told me. Bishop. They like those titles. But do you know in the Bible, the bishop and the elder and the pastor are the same thing? Do you know that or you don't know that? Read Acts chapter 20 when you go home. And you will see that the pastor, the bishop and the elder is the same title. See? But they have different emphases. See? The pastor is the shepherd. That's the emphasis on the pastor, the shepherd, his shepherding work. The bishop is, is his ruling authority. That's what it means to rule. See? 
And of course, the other one is the elder, which speaks of his seniority. So it depends on what angle you're calling from. Paul called the elders and he told them, the Lord has made you shepherds and you must bishop the flock. See, three terms, all in one passage. The elders, the bishop, and the pastor is the same office. Things that differ are not the same. And we must make the distinction where there is a distinction. Now, I want to point out two very quick things here in closing, um, why this is so important for us. It's important for us for this reason. You see, there are no apostles today, but thank God the apostles gave us the word. So what we use today is not apostolic authority in the sense that it is a man that is an apostle today. We use the apostolic authority of the word. That is what we use today. And the second thing I would like to say is because some people ask me, Pastor, how did people decide on the church decide on which book should be in the New Testament. I hope you know that, that when they were deciding on the canon of the New Testament, there were so many different books that were written. There was the apocryphal books that the Catholic Church, 14 of them included in their Bible. But beside the apocrypha, there's something called the pseudepigrapha. Volumes written by Barnabas and written by... They had countless numbers of books that were written. So how did they decide? And you want to know what was one of the key cardinal doctrines that decided which book belonged to the New Testament? Here was the question. Was it written by an apostle or someone associated with an apostle? Apostolicity. That was the key. Mark was not an apostle, but he was associated with Peter and Paul. So the question was, in deciding, was it written by an apostle or someone associated with an apostle. That was the defining moment. Because I hope you know that the apostle Paul did not write all of his epistles with his own hand. He had, he says you in some of the epistles that because of his eyesake, this guy has written the epistle. See? Apostolicity was the key to canonicity, to deciding what would be included in the New Testament. I'm going to stop here. I, I hope that, uh, I know that we have spent some time, uh, but I hope I have not in any way bored you with this information. I really hope that it has helped you and maybe see it in a way you've never seen it before. Not because pastor is uh, some great preacher, but because at least he takes these things to show you so that you can discern these things and, 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 and talk to people who come to you with these issues. And say, have you considered this? Have you considered that? Give a reason for why you believe what you believe. And don't gobble everything that people tell you. See? Save everything. See? Through the word. And may God help you in the process. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the great apostle Paul. Thank you that we can be sitting in a 21st century church and still getting benefit from what he wrote so long ago. Thank you that you have preserved your word and you've given to us what the church needs. That in your great divine omnipotence and omniscience, you saw where the church was headed. You saw what would be needed to help the church avoid the deception that is coming on a global scale. And I want to thank you tonight, Lord, for your word.
I want to thank you for the light that it sheds on modern issues. The relevance of scripture. Oh God, how we should adore you and praise you and worship you and serve you and live for you. And share the glad tidings of the faith with those who know not this glorious gospel of Christ. Use this church to be a lighthouse for your word. The preaching of your word. Use it to be uh, a vessel to carry your word to the ends of the world. Uh, whether it be by personnel from this church or by our financial means. And thank you, Lord, that you are using even the ladies in our church to reach out beyond the shores of Antigua. None of us could have conceived or even perceived the way that you're using people from this church to reach others in different parts of the world. What a glorious, great God you are. Your wisdom is past finding out. And we want you to know that we praise you and thank you and adore you and worship you and withhold and cling to scripture. May you give us the wisdom we need in this hour, this time. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Join us again next time on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy continues with verse 1 and Paul's final claim of being separated unto the gospel. If you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church, please call 268-462-4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.